While they're making their way, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verses 1 and 2. And I, as I reminded my Bible study group on Wednesday night, a short passage doesn't mean a short message. <laughs> so don't, don't get your hopes up here. Okay. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Back in the summer of 1970, my wife and I were raising our support to go to the mission field and uh, I personally didn't enjoy that experience. Uh, Necessary one, but it wasn't uh, my favorite occupation there. But come late fall, we had about just about half of our support, maybe a little more than half of our support pledged. When I got a call from our mission director saying that we were scheduled to go to the Native Institute of Canada and help in the work there, it was a uh, going to be a Bible school and high school for Native students, and we were to be part of the, the teaching staff there. But it was just in the process of being built, and the man in charge of it had to leave for uh, several weeks. And so our director said, I know you don't have your full support yet, but are you willing to go with what you have and, and fill in? Because uh, there's going to be nobody there if, if you don't go. And I jumped at the chance. <laughs> and so on, on the 19th of November, we immigrated into Canada, arrived on at our scheduled post there in, in, outside of Quenelle, British Columbia, had about three weeks to get orientated to what was going on there and, and so forth. And then uh, our director left, and we were left in charge of the place. During that time, at Christmas time, it turned about 30 degrees below zero, and it stayed there for a, a long period of time. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I used to enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> I said used to. I, I have no desire to go back to it now. But, you know, I, I had learned the year before when we were up in, uh, in our training program that uh, the best time to chop your wood supply is when it's 30 degrees below zero. <laughs> it just chops so easy. And so I went out one day, to, we, having come after the snow had already come and so forth, we were late getting our, our wood supply ready for the year. I went out and started chopping wood. And uh, as I was working away, I noticed off in, across the meadow, a man was coming riding a horse. And this is 30 degrees weather. I went, what in the world is he out doing riding a horse here? Well, uh, he, he rode up and he introduced himself. He said his name was Slim. And uh, I, I had heard about Slim. I, I'd never met him, but I'd heard about him. Slim lived probably about eight miles from the nearest road. Only way in was by horseback. Uh, he had his business was raising horses and trapping. And uh, the reason he was there is he was running a trap line through our properties. And I noticed somebody different here. So I thought I'd just stop by and introduce myself so you know what I'm doing out there. I'm going through your property che- checking my, my traps. Uh, an interesting character. He, he, he lived out there with his son. His son was about 20 years of age. His wife had left him when the son was about three, maybe four years of age, and he kept the, the, the little boy. That, that, 
That poor little kid had never gone to school in his life. Didn't know how to read, didn't know how to write, couldn't do simple arithmetic, had, had never been in a car, never been to town. He, he was isolated back there in, in the wilderness. But as I talked for a few minutes with Slim, I realized this guy's been riding for several hours, checking his trap line. He's got to be cold. I, I know he was dressed for the weather, but still, 30 below, that's, that's a long ride on a horse. So I said, Slim, why don't you come on in and we'll get a pot of coffee on and, and uh, maybe we have some snacks or something there for you. And he looked at me and he said, I can't do that. I said, well, why not? He said, well, I don't smell very good. <laughs> now, I, I knew from what I had heard that, that Slim was the type of individual that, that took a bath once a year, whether he needed it or not. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. And I said, you know, that, that doesn't matter. You're cold. It's cold out here. You've got a long ride ahead of you. Come on in and get warmed up and, and get some coffee in you. And uh, he said, well, I, I really don't smell very well. Uh, and he said, I'll tell you what happened. He said, I was getting ready to last night to go out on my trap line. I mixed up a new batch of scent to put on the traps to, to mask the human smell. And he said, when I got up and it was so cold this morning, I put a little bit of alcohol in the bottle. And as I was riding along, that got to jiggling in my pocket and got to working away, and it blew the cork off the top of the bottle. And so my coat is soaked with that, that scent. And I said, you know what, Slim, I don't care. You've you got to come in and get warm. And he did. And guess what? He didn't smell very good. <laughs> uh, he, he, was, he was correct in that. Smelling good can be a big business. It's been around since the beginning of time. Matter of fact, you go back to Psalm chapter 45, you have the, the wedding song of, a, of probably of Solomon there, one of his many weddings. It speaks of the, the bride uh, putting on myrrh and alios and, and cassia. Now, what they all smell like, I don't have the slightest idea. Some of you in essential oils could probably tell me, but... Uh, I, to me, they all kind of smell alike, but I'm sure they're all different there. But it's big business, even today. Like I say, I'm not particularly into that. I come into the house, and we have one of those little pots. Ginger puts some of those little oils in there, and it smells up the whole house. I'd much rather come into the house and smell a pie baking in the oven <laughs> or a roast or something, but that... If that's your thing, that's fine. But as I think about that, I think of our passage here. Christ came as a fragrant aroma. A sweet-smelling aroma is the way it's put in some of your translations there. And as I looked at that, I wonder, what kind of an aroma do we give off as we walk through our world? What are people seeing? What What are... Smelling, if you, in a sense, what what are they gaining from from our life? We were commanded in chapter five, four, to to walk worthy of our calling, to walk worthy of the Lord. Now, as we come into chapter five, he says we are to walk as imitators of God. Why? Because we are children of God. Have you ever noticed how children often reflect? the character of their parents. I, I grew up, and I, I know this shows my age, but that's okay. I, I grew up in the hippie generation. How many remember the hippies? 
some, some of you know. Uh, you know, a few years after the hippies were on the scene, they began to be called the yuppies, the young urban professionals. Why did they make that change? They were so anti-establishment as young people, and then suddenly they adopted all of those values of the system. What made the difference? They were following the example of mom and dad. They, they were living out the character that they had been raised with. And as God's children, we are called to live out the character of Jesus Christ, to show to the world the difference that Christ can make in a life. So he calls us in verse 2, he says, to walk in love. This was an essential character of Jesus. In First John chapter 4, in, in verse uh, 7 and 8, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows of God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If we are born of God, he said, we have a responsibility to love, to demonstrate the love of Christ to others. In verse 11, he says, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And he gets a little bit personal when you come down to the end of that chapter. In verse 19 and 20, he says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. And then he goes on to say, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Strong language there. If we say we love God and it doesn't show in our life, he's saying something's wrong there. He says, the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen there. We are called to love as Christ loved. What kind of love was that? What kind of love was it that gave that, in a sense, fragrant aroma to the world in which Christ was living? It is, first of all, a willing love. The Old Testament sacrificial system had many required sacrifices. The uh, law spelled out three times when every Jewish man was to report to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. Passover was one of those times. Uh, the, the Feast of Booths were another, and, and then the Day of Atonement. Those were non-negotiable. They had to offer those sacrifices if they were going to be in right relationship with, with God. There were other offerings, though, that were designated free will offerings. They were not required. Uh, they were often designed for the person simply to say thanks to God for something special that had happened in their life. Maybe God had blessed them with an abundant harvest. Maybe it was uh, being saved from death. Uh, it could have been 101 things, but it was to be a thank offering to, to the Lord. Those offerings were often referred to as sweet savor offerings. We first come across them in Genesis chapter 8. Uh, in Genesis 6 and 7 and 8 there, we have the story of Noah in the ark. And when Noah came out of the ark in verse 21 of chapter 8, we read, or in verse 20, it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord, took of every clean animal, every clean bird, and offered a burnt offering on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. He voluntarily, freely gave an offering. Now, that was a precious offering, because when you stop and think, everything had been destroyed. Uh, they, they only had seven of the clean animals, and, and 
he took one of them, offered it as a sacrifice, as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Those sacrifices are, again, spelled out in the law. Over 40 times it mentions the the sweet-smelling sacrifices. Sometimes they were animal sacrifices. Sometimes they were grain sacrifices. Sometimes it was uh, gold or silver that they brought and simply gave to the Lord. It was their way. They were under no obligation to do that, but it was their way of saying, thank you, Lord, for the blessings that, that you've showered upon us. In a very real sense, I think, as he uses that term here, Christ came as a sacrifice, as a fragrant aroma. He's reminding us that Jesus gave himself for us. He said, no one takes my life, I give it. He, he wasn't forced to go to the cross. He went out of love for us. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. He didn't have to give him. He, Jesus didn't have to give his life. First John 4.10 says he, he willingly gave his life as a propitiation for our sin. And that, when we stop and think about that, it puts added importance here on verse 1 where he says, be imitators of me. Be imitators of God as beloved children. So what he is saying in that is we are to be a willing sacrifice for him. If we love him, we should be willing to do that because I know that's tough, but Jesus never asks us to do something that he was unwilling to do. Whenever he asks us to do something, we can be assured that he did that first for us. Uh, we have that commandment if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me guess what he did that for us first so uh, he, he never puts that burden upon us but what he was willing to do it himself so that willing love comes in three forms it's to be first of all a willing service first peter chapter 5 verse 2 he's talking to the elders there it says he starts in verse 1 i exhort the elders among you Uh, He said, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, according to the will of God. And and so their service was to be a willing service. They weren't to serve because they had to. They weren't asked to serve because nobody else will do it. They were asked to serve because of their love for, for Jesus Christ. And that wasn't just the elders that... I realize that passage is directed toward the elders. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1, Paul, as an elder, said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so the elders were to be an example to the flock, and the flock was to follow their example here. Uh, They weren't to serve because they had to. They were to serve because of their love for Jesus Christ. I personally think that is an important element in service. I I, I will not twist anybody's arm to serve. Uh, I'll ask people if if they would like to serve in some area, but uh, I'm not going to convince them that they have to do it, that there's nobody else out there that will do it. That's between them and the Lord. Their service is to be a willing service. And and if they're not willing, I'm not going to argue with them otherwise. I I think it's good for us sometimes to stop and examine, is our service really done in love? Do we serve because we love the Lord? 
Do, do we give our time and our efforts and our talents because we want to make a difference for the kingdom of God? Or do we do it because nobody else will do it? We, we uh, have an opportunity. The needs are great. Are we willing to get involved simply because we love the Lord and we want him to be glorified through our lives? Uh, is our service done in love or do we sometimes do it with a little bit of complaining? Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says in verse 14, do all things without murmuring and complaining. Uh, I'm sure that none of you did any murmuring or complaining this week. Uh, but uh, sometimes we fall into that trap if we're not careful. Ours is to be a willing service. We serve because we love him, because we want to demonstrate that love. Our giving is also to be willing giving. In, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul, in talking about an offering that was being taken up for the saints in Jerusalem, said to the church in Corinth, uh, let each one of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, or God loves a, a, a willing giver there. Uh, this uh, it was not a required offering. It was an offering that they were able to participate in to meet the needs of the, of the church in, in, in Jerusalem there. And he said, I want you to do it because you want to. I, I want it to be a, a willing act on, on your part. In, in the Old Testament, tithing was required. You had to give a tenth of, of your income or your flocks or whatever it was. It was all spelled out in the law. Anything else beyond the tenth was a free will offering. They, they could come and offer more than it. They, didn't, they weren't restricted to just a tenth. That, that was just the starting point. Now, in the New Testament, it doesn't spell out how much we are to give to the Lord. Do we give 10%? Do we give 20%? I think that's a matter between each individual and the, the Lord. I personally believe that the tithe is, a, is just the starting point uh, for, for a child of God today. And I realize that some people, that's all, all that they are able to give, but, and that's fine. Uh, I, when I first came to this church, uh, they, the congregation said, we're, we're going to give you X number of dollars, and you can split it up any way you want. And so I specified an amount for uh, our personal support, I specified amount for our housing because if, if that's if I can justify spending that for housing, I don't have to pay income tax on that. So it, it was a, a benefit that I took advantage of. And then I have always made sure that I have designated at least 10% of it, if not more, for the ministry in, in the church. And, and so uh, rather than turn in bills for what I buy for the church and so forth, I take that out of that, that portion and... Uh, I, I just feel that is my responsibility to, to bring back 10%, at least 10% to, to the work of the Lord. And then, then beyond that, anything else beyond that is a free will offering. We, we support some missionary causes and so forth, but uh, that, that's not, we don't look at that as, as part of our tithe. But I think it's good for us sometimes as we recognize the fact that we have been tremendously blessed of the Lord. And I think in all honesty, when I look around the room, I think it's fair to say that we've been blessed. Paul said to Timothy, you know, if you have adequate food and clothing, you should be content. You've been blessed of the Lord. I don't see anybody that looks hungry here today. And I certainly don't see anybody that's poorly clothed. So I assume that we've all been blessed of the Lord.
Do we give a willing sacrifice back to him? Do we recognize that blessing came from him and, and that we are have a responsibility to return a portion of that and, and to, in a sense, pass it on to others that, that may have a need of it there? Do we give above and beyond what the tithe was there? Is it a willing sacrifice? Or do we give because we want to control things? Or do we give because we want to be noticed? I have a personal problem with memorial gifts. I know people like to give memorial gifts. I was in a church where on the piano they had a little memorial plaque and some churches they have them on their pews and so forth, given in honor of or in memory of and so forth there. I don't like that. If you want to give in honor of somebody, give. But let it be between you and the Lord. Uh, elsewhere it says don't let the left hand know what the right hand is is doing there don't uh, try to take the credit he said you know if you get your credit in this life you don't get it in the next so uh, be be careful of those areas we are, are to give because we love the lord we are to give because we want to to share in his work in ministry and what touches his heart i, I like the example of the philippian church in philippians chapter 4 Paul had received a gift from them. He was in prison at the time. He said in 4.18, I received everything in full and now have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. Their gift, Paul looked at as a sacrifice, a sweet savor offering that was well-pleasing to the Lord. We need to give in that very same way. Give because we've been blessed. Give because we love the Lord. Give because we want to honor him and say thank you for his blessing. And then our obedience is to be willing. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We don't keep his commandments because if we do, if we don't keep them, we're going to get punished. We, we don't keep them because if we don't look out what's coming, no. We keep them because we love him. We want to demonstrate that love to him. Most of you know that little chorus, there is joy in serving Jesus. That is so true. That joy comes when we willingly walk in obedience to him. Uh, It doesn't matter whether anybody else knows what we're doing or not. It doesn't matter whether they see our service or recognize it. The joy comes in knowing that Jesus does. Hebrews chapter 10 verse, or 6 verse 10 says, He's not unkind or unjust to forget our work and labor of love. He will reward us for that labor. We may not fully understand how or why, but uh, simply we obey because we love him. Ours is to be, first of all, a willing love. And that is to be a sacrificial love. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the ultimate sacrifice there. He asked who who would lay down his life for somebody else. He said, maybe for a good man, we might dare to do that. But uh, again, he goes on to say, Jesus laid down his life for us. Doesn't ask us to do it until he was willing to do it himself there. Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Uh, We're not presenting ourselves necessarily as a dead sacrifice it's a living sacrifice we are to live out the character of christ in the 
world in which we live. And we'll see more of that as we work our th way through the rest of the chapter. I'm going to skip ahead for just a minute to verse 22. Because I think that gives us a, a good illustration of, of willing love and willing of sacrificial love there. In verse 22, he says, wives, do what? Be subject to your... Did I hear the men quote that? <laughs> they were real quick on that one. We, we, we like that verse, don't we? Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. I set you up for that, men. Uh, and you took the bait there. Uh, we, we, we love that command, and we, I, I love to go to this passage in premarital counseling. I, I, I love to examine that with a couple that are about to get married. Uh, what does it mean to be submissive to, to, to the husband and, and, and so forth there? We'll, we'll get to there eventually. But, uh, you know, the thing that we tend to miss, uh, men, is the next verse, where it says, Husbands do what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and as Christ gave himself for the church. And so if we are to have a sacrificial love, it begins at home. When was the last time, husbands, you were willing to sacrifice something for your wives? That's what you're called to do. Uh, which is more important, your needs or hers? I, I, I saw a, a sad illustration of that when we were ministering in South Dakota. It was one of those years where they had a good year. Now, farmers hate to admit they have a good year. Yeah, you, you talk to a farmer, there's always something wrong. Uh, even if it's a good year, well, next year's not going to be so good. Uh, they, they, they tend to be pessimistic. Uh, well, it was one of those good years. And the, the husband had taken the calves to be sold and the price of hay was high and the price of calves were high. You don't get that all, all the time. But that was one of those years when it was. Now, they had been living in a home, an old house they inherited from his father and uh, didn't have running water in the home. They had a sink with, with a, a little drain that went out through the wall, but no, no well, no, they didn't even go out through the wall. It went into a five-gallon bucket. And, and so her job was to pack the water in and pack the water out. Uh, not the, the best of situations. If you ever live, we, we've had that situation. Uh, and you forget that that bucket is filling up. Pretty soon you have a mess. <laughs> Some of you have been there and done that. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Well, he went and he came home. And he was all excited. He said, I got a good price today. And he said, I've got a surprise for you. Now, she's thinking he's finally going to get the plumbing into the house. And uh, he says, come on outside, I'll show you. And they go outside, and there sitting on the trailer was a brand new tractor. And the reason he got a tractor was they had made some money that year. And if he bought a tractor, he could write it off of the income tax as an investment. Uh, that was more important to him than plumbing was to her, or at least that's what he thought. And, and her heart just fell as, as she saw what had happened. And I wondered, whose needs was he looking out for? Do we love our, as Christ loved? Are we willing to make those sacrifices at times to demonstrate the love of Christ not only to our wife, but to society in, in which we live? We live in a work world where it's a, a dog-eat-dog society. You, you, you climb the ladder at the expense of somebody else. As a child of God, do we go into those kind of situations 
and demonstrate the love of Christ? Is that more important to us than the next promotion? Uh, are, are we living out the, the, the love of Christ there? We're, we're trained in the sports world to be very competitive. And unfortunately, our society is a very competitive society. We're taught from an early age to look out for number one. I, I cut an article out of the Leadership Magazine back in 1998. Uh, it was written about the, what was going on in the NBA at that time. The article, it was written by uh, Coach Larry Brown, who was the coach at that time of the Philadelphia 76ers. He said these words, fewer NBA players passed the ball in 1966 and 97 than they did just a decade ago. It contributed to a significant drop in the scores. He, according to Mike Wise in the New York Times, he said, after making nearly 48% of their shots from the field 10 years ago, teams were now making only 45%. What's more, fewer people, players were passing the ball. 10 years ago, teams averaged 51.2 assists, leading directly to a score each game. Today, the number is 43.6%. Coach Larry Brown said the NBA promotes individuals, not teams. Now, I, this reflects the time in which he was speaking. He said, when the Bulls were playing against Miami, it was Alonzo Mourning against Michael Jordan. Now, some of you remember those, those names and those teams. It, it wasn't the great Chicago Bulls against the great Miami Heat. It sends a best, bad message, he said. Why play a team sport and not be willing to help your teammates? And why have a church and not be willing to help one another? Why have a church and not be willing to exercise that sacrificial love that, that Christ calls us to exercise? It's important that each one of us be willing to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. When you think about that, when life gets busy, and let's be honest, every one of us are probably too busy. We have more things to do than, than maybe we should have. But uh, when life gets busy... What do we sacrifice first? Do we sacrifice for the Lord? Or do we sacrifice for financial gain? Or, or, or what, what, what fuels the decisions that we make today? I like Luke chapter 6, verse 38, where he said, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure. Now, if you go into the context of that passage, he's not talking about the offering box in the back. He's talking about love. And as we demonstrate love, as we give love to one another, he says, you're going to be blessed in the process. It's going to have a way of coming back to you as you give. And then if you continue in that passage, you come down to verse 14. It says, everyone when he is fully taught, every disciple when he's fully taught will be like his teacher or master there. What is he saying in that? If we are fully taught of Christ. We're going to imitate him in our daily lives. He gave his life for us. We need to be that willing sacrifice for him. We need to give of our time and our effort and our talents for him. And we obviously need to ask, are we imitating Christ in our daily life? In a, a little article called Never Forgotten, Always Loved, Roy Lesson wrote these words. He said, the richest blessing of God in your Blessings of God in your life are best understood, not by what it costs you to follow him, 
but by understanding all you have gained in obeying his call. He goes on to say, to go where he leads means you have taken the higher ground. To take up your cross means you've drawn closer to his heart. To keep your hand to the plow means your eye is on greater riches. Like Abraham, you look for a city to come. Like Peter, you are a pilgrim whose journey leads to an inheritance that shall never perish. Like Paul, you count all things but loss to gain Christ, the pearl of greatest price. Are we willingly, sacrificially living for Jesus Christ? And so I guess as we think about that and we think of the offering of Christ there as a sweet savor offering, what kind of an aroma did you give off this week as you walk through this life? Now, I'm not asking you, did you wear Chanel number one or two or five or whatever number it is? Uh, I don't care what kind of aftershave you used or whatever. But were you living in such a way that somebody got a glimpse of Jesus Christ? Were you walking in such a way that you were a tribute to Jesus Christ. Did you walk in love? Are there some areas that you need to change in your life? Are there areas where you need to make a commitment? Maybe you've been avoiding that sacrifice. You know God's been asking you to do it, but you just haven't done it. Perhaps today is the day when you have you should be able to say, I'm willing, Lord. If you ask, I'm, I'm willing to do what you ask of me today. I'm going to ask you to bow in a moment of silent prayer because I think this is a key area that we need to wrestle with. Is there some area in your life where you just haven't been smelling good like my friend Slim so many years ago where the world hasn't been seeing Jesus Christ? You need to deal with that before we come to the Lord's table. So let's let's take just a moment of silent prayer and examine our hearts before the Lord. Father, as we come before the Lord's table this morning, as we remember the broken body, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were reminded from Ephesians that it was a sweet savor offering to the Lord. You did it simply because you loved us. You were under no obligation. Nobody forced you to do it. You did it because you loved us. We marvel at that love. We don't understand it fully. But we thank you that you do love us with that everlasting love. Father, we thank you for the privilege of reflecting on that today and allowing you to examine our hearts and to deal with those areas where we've been a hindrance to that sweet-smelling offering that should be so evident in our society. We thank you that you care enough about us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.